When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Gabby Ree Show, where we break down the complex worlds of health, fitness, family, business, and relationships with the world's leading experts. I'm your host, Gabby Reese, and I'm here to simplify these topics and give you practical takeaways that you can start using today. We all know that living a healthy, balanced life isn't always easy. Let's try working on managing life a little better and have some fun along the way. Because after all, life is just one big experiment and we're all doing our best. There is one pill that takes care of all the 33 chronic diseases we die of in this country, and that is mobility. And so, and it's something that we've all been doing since we're, you know, in utero, and then one year old, we're stepping out on our own, uh, saving our own lives through mobility. So I did this series of studies starting in 2004, where I looked at, can we save our lean muscle mass with chronic mobility? And oh my God, yes, we can, even into our 80s. Can we save our bone density? Can we save our brains? And can we use sports performance as a biomarker of aging? When do we really slow down? And based on all of that, the answer is yes, 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 yes. We can control our futures by investing in our mobility every day. So it shows that in these animals, which we then reproduce these data in humans, that we can totally recondition our stem cells by the mobility that we invest every day. So we use these techniques now to prehab people for total knees or total hips or for surgery to make sure the whole body and the stem cells are primed. So that's, you know, that's beautiful data about how we can manipulate even at a cellular level. But we know that lifting heavy is another way to, to cause the replication of satellite cells, which we just need more of these. So if we just let time happen without reinvesting in our mobility, you know, we're just, we're just acquiescing, giving in because we can change our bodies at a tissue level with this rump roast uh, flank steak study I did with our muscles and a follow-up study, we know we can recondition our stem cells by mobility. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Vonda Wright. She's an orthopedic surgeon by training. She was a cancer nurse who ended up going back to medical school and becoming an orthopedic surgeon, working with professional teams like the Pittsburgh Penguins, has done tons of scientific research and data on aging and thriving and using mobility, which is her secret word for exercise, to help with longevity. And what I found really fascinating in this conversation is that reminder that pretty much if we can take care of ourselves and keep mobile at whatever level we're able to, right? It's not a competition that you kind of, your body doesn't really slow down until you start really in your 70s. And having said that, I have a very dear friend of mine who was performing at the highest level until he was 84. But she, again, like so many people that I have on this podcast talk over and over about our lifestyle 
And how about 80% of our training should be in zone two. And so what that means is for someone like me, that's about 130 beats per minute. So it's not about killing yourself, but it's really being mindful of your musculoskeletal system and aging, not shying away from those weights. What kind of micro and macronutrients are you getting? And also focusing on where am I today and where do I want to be? Not pining for, gosh, I used to be so athletic or when I was younger and how that doesn't really help at all. She has a new book called Guide to Thrive. Her next book is called Strong. And her whole thing is about your body and your brain. When you exercise, you release hormones or proteins that actually support your brain and bliss. She is smart and hard charging. And I hope you enjoy Dr. Vonda Wright. Dr. Wright, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. It's my pleasure. And I, I have to say, I don't know how you do it. I know, um, you know, it's uh, people are busy. Um, mm-hmm. And I know uh, that you have a blended family and you have all this going on, but it's like a practice. And then, you know, trying to do research on people and all these different things. And before we, we dive into Guide to Thrive and just some of the other things that you work on, I personally would just like to hear from you, you know, how, what are the tools that actually you use personally? I think when we see people like yourself, we think, oh, well, they're just a little smarter than the average person, which of course you are, but it's when you realize all of the things that you're juggling, that it's, you have to develop your own tools, whether it's in your training and your eating and your de-stressing and your relationships like even a project like this, where you're writing a book, maybe just take me through sort of how you organize it all in your world. All the, all the various things we have going on in the air at the same time, right? So I think we're, you're right, Gabby, we're all busy and we have a lot of things going on. We have our families, we have our children, we have our jobs. And I learned a long time ago while I was in, you know, my seven years of surgical training and then having a baby at 40 and that I can do a lot of things, but I can't do them all at the same time. So I've become very good at block timing and, and I'll, I'll admit to your audience that after going three weeks nonstop, I am getting home late. I'm seeing my daughter in the morning and then texting the rest of our children all day that on Wednesday of this very week, I rearranged my night schedule and I went home and, and I watched TV with my husband for a couple hours, you know? So, so I think all of us have those challenges, but the things that I do from a health and organizational standpoint that keep me as a middle-aged woman, I'm 56 and I've been through menopause and I know what the uh, energy challenges are. The things I do are what sustain me because uh, here's what I do. And, and, and I know that this middle period of life for many women can be extremely challenging and it was mine, but this is just what works for me and what I'm writing and the follow-up to Guide to Thrive, which is called Strong, because that's how I want to feel now. I want to rewrite the narrative of how women and in, in my demographic uh, perceive ourselves. We are not victims. We can be as strong and healthy, vital, active, joyful. So this is what I do. I have gotten control of 
my glucose spikes and my sugar, right? I love sugar, Gabby. I love it. I'd rather eat cookies for breakfast, but here's the deal. Three Girl Scout cookies is 180 calories of sugar. And what it does is it destroys my brain. It puts adipose fat, the places that are more than just inconvenient. So what I've done is, um, and this is what I advise to the women and men I take care of is, is I focus on lean grief, lean protein. You know, I don't demand people just eat plant protein. It's lean protein. I recommend green leafy and high fiber, right? And if we're going to eat carbs, which I'm fine with people doing, it has to be complex carbs. And then I want them to eat protein throughout the day. I mean, these are not revolutionary things, but Gabby, this is how I have controlled my body composition, right? I also, as an orthopedic surgeon, work out, but I do not overtrain because I think what people don't understand, you're a pro athlete. I work with a lot of pro athletes. My husband was a pro athlete. You do not gun it every single day. You base train 80% of the time. Uh, for my clients and myself, we measure lactate thresholds. So I know the heart rate where we are most effective. And then you don't end up in my office hurt all the time because of overtraining, right? So I, I recommend base training. We sprint a couple times a week. We, we feed ourselves gorgeous whole things that do not spike our blood sugar and you know, it matters. It's, it's made my brain mine again. It's helped me control my body composition at this time of life. So I don't know. That's a long answer, Gabby. Well, no, it's not. And, and when you say base training for people listening, it's, it's pretty much like zone two. You're, you know, you're not sort of saying, hey, you're huffing and puffing. It's like, let's get the heart rate up. Let's be working. You know, and, and I think that that's really important. And, I, and I, in this messaging, I often find that what works what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And we don't have to peel out men and women. However, it feels like women think that they can cardio themselves into skinny or thin mm -hmm. or you know, whatever word mm -hmm. we're using. And guys sort of gravitate more towards weights. And it's really reminding both sides, like, Hey, we have to, we have to be, and especially as we get older as females, I see you, you know, banging iron, lifting weights and, you know, being powerful. Yes. It doesn't mean, you know, my favorite thing is like, I don't want to get too big that I don't like, do you know how hard it is to get big? <laughs> no, and like, how many years it takes. Right. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> you know, in reading about you, you started as a nurse and then decided, you know, after working with cancer patients and doing, you know, very intense things. Oh, I'm, I'm going to back to medical school. Yes. And that pretty much, you know, you get spit out of that process at around 40 years old. Yes. I did anyway. Yeah. Yes. Well, if you, you know, you pushed everything. Okay. I'd love to know, you know, you're in, you're in that practice and you're seeing patient, you know, as a nurse, a lot of people would have been like, oh, I've already invested all this time in being a nurse and I have a career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and this doesn't have to be somebody who goes from, you know, one thing and then decides to be a doctor. But I think a lot of us go along and we do our duty and we do what we're supposed to do. Yes. Um, and then we do get these little voices inside us that go, Hey, you know, you might be good at this other thing over here. You know, where did you first of all, get the courage to say, cause now you're an adult, right? You're yeah. in your late twenties 
to say, no, I'm going to take this new path and, and go to medical school, especially given all that it takes? Well, I love that question, Gabby, and I don't get that question very often. So I really appreciate you thinking about with me what it really takes to pivot as an adult. And that word, courageous. When I think about this or describe it, I use those words, strong and courageous, to recognize that as a cancer nurse uh, in the 90s, I was really working with, it was a privilege to work with people who every day were fighting for them lot, their lives. And as a 20-something-year-old, I learned so much about life. And, and you know, you'll, you'll find a lot of the details that we worry about every day I don't really care about because I have seen people in the throes. So after I had done that about six years, I realized that I could continue to have impact and go back to medical school. I think that the biggest pivot and the real and the real lesson that might be valuable was when I pivoted at 48. So I'd been at I, you know, did this, went back to medical school, realizing here's the thing, here's the here's the lesson from that. I'm going to be whatever age I'm going to be when I'm done anyway. I might as well be doing where I something where I can make the biggest impact or I could stay there in my nursing job forever and that would have been fine because I loved being a nurse, but I knew that I had more work to do in a different field and you j- and so when we get too comfortable, we limit our capacity to help people, we limit our capacity, but the biggest pivot that people comment on the most, at least in orthopedics, is I went at 48 from being the medical director at the UPMC Lemieux Sports Complex, which is this huge people, 185,000 square foot building where I did all my aging research. And really, because UPMC is such a great sports uh, department, everybody would have wanted that job. But you know what I decided, Gabby? I decided that because there was a ceiling there for me as a woman surgeon, because I had a high capacity and knew that I had more ability to lead, I could either stay there and be comfortable forever and limit myself, or I could make a giant pivot, gather up my strength and my courage, move my family to Atlanta and realize the capacity that I have been given. And And so that's what I did. And I think that's what it takes for people. There's nothing wrong with living where you are. But if every day you doubt that you're living to your full potential and the gifts you've been given, and if it's only courage that you're lacking, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Probably no one's going to die, which is my perspective from cancer care, right? Listen to that perspective. So did you um, go, did you go yeah. into that? Like, did your family? Because it seems like there, it happens to two different monumental times. So, you know, when you're a nurse, did, did something that your family taught you, or after kind of seeing people living and dying, you go, you know what? Like, life is short. I'm just going to roll. And then again later, I would imagine, you know, your husband Peter and everyone sort of have to maybe be on board to go. Okay, we'll all move over there. But I'd like mm-hmm. to know you know, if it was sort of realizing the preciousness of time and of the time, I think, cause you know, kids have taught me that it's like, Hey, you're alive. We can work at whatever it is out. You yes. know, before I was a parent, uh, I was like, you know, I'm sort of more interested in like, well, what's their job going to be or who are they going to be with? And then you realize first things first, like we're here 
what do you want to do? Where did you get that from the first time? The first time I just realized that at 24 years old, what I was doing was too easy for me because in six years I had, I was teaching at a unit between getting my master's degree. I was teaching at a university. I was running a cancer Institute and I thought this has been good, but I cannot just sit here and do the same thing for 40 more years. And so, yes, it took a big pivot. Yes. I realized that I mean, so I'll tell you, when you're taking care of women, because it's largely women I took care of with breast cancer, and at that time, cancer care was given in the hospital, and it was the time called, called primary nursing, where I was the same nurse that took care of them every month for six months when they came in, and it was just me and them at night, and I was seeing them taking control of the little things that they could control in an uncontrollable time, they taught me that you just have to take control of what you want. You have to do what you want because you're never guaranteed, right? So in the middle of the night where I'm sitting with them in their rooms, they're clicking through QVC because all they can control is what they buy in the middle of the night, right? right? To try to be have control again. And so when it came time for me to try to pivot, I thought, I can't control everything about this long journey I'm about to do, but I can control whether I sit here for the rest of my life. Yeah. Right. I, and then when you're, when you're, you are then become a surgeon and yes. I don't know how you managed to, you know, have a practice. You worked at, you, like you said, a very prestigious group. You're working with penguins, with the penguins. You're working with high profile athletes. Now you're also having a baby. <laughs> How about that one, Gabby? At 40. I mean, I I am so thankful this for this person. Well, when I married Peter, I, I got five gifts, five amazing uh, Taglianetti children, but truly a gift was having my daughter when I was 40. I mean, you're asking me how in the world did I manage that all right? You know what I, Gabby, it take, it took me a village. I don't know what it takes you, but it takes me. It takes, it takes my parents to help me. It takes me realizing that she could be just as well strapped to me in her little baby Bjorn while I'm writing my first book than anything else. So I just took her everywhere. You know, you just incorporate kids and, and they become a part of it. So she traveled with me since she was three weeks old. I took her to New York to do a speaking gig. She just has grown up in the public. She can, she can converse with adults. I don't think kids need to be separated from the worlds that we live in. Do you? No, I, I agree. It's, you know, one time I said to my husband, we were traveling and we have my, my middle daughter and she was like three and she had her little rolly, you know, suitcase and she was just going in the line. Cause we always made them walk, you know, even mm-hmm. if you walk slower in the airport, it's like, Hey, you, we got to go. Right. I never use strollers or things like that. But I said to her, God, she's really a trooper. And he said, well, cause we've trooped her. Like I think oh. when we expose them to your point, um, yeah. was there a moment? Cause I feel like with females, we always feel like it's an either or, you know, you said you can do everything, but not all at once. You bust mm-hmm. your ass in school. You're finally in your practice. And now you're going to turn around and have a baby. Was there a moment that you sort of thought, Oh, I, this is, this might, you know, impinge on my ability to kick ass and work. Um, 
I can be excellent every single day with every interaction I have with people who come to me in musculoskeletal pain, right? So having a daughter does not, or having six children together and taking care of a big family does not impinge on my moment to moment being excellent. Because here's the thing that I've learned from peak performers, whether they're surgeons or athletes or executives, peak performance is born in every moment, right? You not every moment is a peak performance moment. We all peak at some point, but we have to try our best. That's I talk to people about every, how every detail matters to me when it comes to my patients and surgery. So to answer your question, every moment with my patients can be excellent, but there are moments when I'm not there, right? And when every moment with my daughter can be as good as I can get it, or with my older children or with my husband. So I block my time. I take vacations with them where somebody else is helping me with my patients. Wednesday, I came home and laid on my couch. But there are also moments when I am totally integrated, where you know I may be on vacation, sitting under a cabana, and they're playing, and I'm answering emails. I am still there. I am still managing all my worlds. And it's just how I get it done. Well, and also for me, I think the key is like, how do we be less apologetic? I think that's something that is inherently, I feel this way all the time. Like, you know, it's, it's sort of like, oh, am I doing this enough? And I think sort of showing up and also being a great example, you think of the example you're being to your daughter is so, so powerful. So I want to slide over to, and thank you for indulging me. And in, because in, when I see someone like you juggling all this, I'm like, okay, wait a second. How are you doing <laughs> that? You know? And doing it, I think it's it, sometimes when things look so easy for people, you think, oh, and really getting under the hood and realizing it's like, no, you have a practice, you have a family, you have all, and your own self-care practice and things like that. So you you have Guide to Thrive, which I, one thing I want to say that I appreciate it, it's like a workbook. It yeah. really is. Yeah. And like So I think making people accountable and participating in it and touching and feeling is really um, a powerful tool for people. But I, I'm curious how you go from, all right, orthopedic, you're solving at least some symptoms to now going, okay, well, let's back it up even further and get people to get on top of it. Was this because of your own practice or what is it in you that was like, no, I want, I'd like to help people sooner. Mm-hmm. So part of the research that I've done, including my, it's really my, my entire body of work that I am so glad right now more people have gotten on this bandwagon. But in 2004, when I started, nobody, Gabby, nobody wanted to talk about active aging. In fact, my first book was called Fitness After 40, and it was in partnership with Dick Sporting Goods. We put out some great products and just to help people take control of their mobility. And even 40-year-olds at that time couldn't stand the number 40. I mean, now it's cool to be to be uh, 40 and above. It's I believe it's some of the best times of our lives. But at that time, no. So I didn't want to just be writing my opinions. I wanted the science behind it because in the, my foundationally, I'm an academic surgeon. And so I started doing the research to undergird these books, realizing that um, as lots of your guests have stated, but we did some of the first research to show that if 
you maintain your chronic mobility. My job as an orthopedic surgeon is to save your mobility. And in doing so, I'm saving you from the ravages of chronic disease, right? There is one pill that takes care of all the 33 chronic diseases we die of in this country, and that is mobility. And so, and it's something that we've all been doing since we're, you know, in utero and then one year old, we're stepping out on our own, uh, saving our own lives through mobility. So I did this series of studies starting in 2004, where I looked at, can we save our lean muscle mass with chronic mobility? And oh my God, yes, we can, even into our 80s. Can we save our bone density? Can we save our brains? And can we use sports performance as a biomarker of aging? When do we really slow down? And based on all of that, the answer is yes, 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 yes. We can control our futures by investing in our mobility every day. And if I only kept that within my orthopedic practice, Gabby, 100 people a week would know this because look at me, I'm getting all passionate about it now, right? It's been such a part of my whole career. But if I write books or or get on TV, then 5.5 million people have to hear me say that saving your mobility is going to save your life and that we're not destined to go from the vibrancy of youth to the frailty of old age unless we choose to, right? We can choose our path. And so that's why I started writing, to expose my research and the message that we can be healthy, vital, active, joyful to more people. But I also realized in the writing of Guide to Thrive, Gabby, that we plan everything in our lives. We plan our financial futures, our kids' education. We plan our neighbor's kids' education, for God's sake, right? We make plans about everything, but very few of us make a strategic plan for our health and longevity. So when you say that Guide to Thrive and its sequel, Strong, is a workbook, it is because I'm asking people to write a business plan for their health. And the, and the four steps create a vision, take action, change attitudes, and then assess and reward. That's a business plan, basically. But we're applying it to our health. Did you grow up active yourself? You know what I did? I grew up on a farm in Kansas. I was at the time when you, your mom sent you outside and said, don't come back till the sunset hits. So we ran all over the farm. And then my father is an amazing example of the premise that if you invest every day in your mobility, you can save your old li own life because he's 86 right now. There is not a day that I do not remember him being an endurance runner. In fact, on the farm, sometimes my mom and I would be like, where's dad? And we'd have to go look on the map on the wall. He took the yellow route today. It's 12 miles. He'll be back, right? So he really showed me that this is possible. And, you know, even at his age with a total hip, he's out five or six miles a day walking. So I truly believe it. When you say mobility, and this is just more for the listener, a, a lot of times, like depending on the person, mobility is, oh, it's, it's, it's stretching and it's sort of how well you get up from a chair. When you're mm -hmm. talking about mobility from your perspective, how are you defining it? Yeah, you know, I stopped using the word exercise in about 2004 because everybody's faces get blank. They turn away. They <laughs> any reason not to talk about exercise. So I use mobility to mean, um, you know, we can fidget. That's mobility. An office person can get up 12 times a day. That's mobility. 
but when I'm prescribing it for people, I, I define it as, as uh, three hours a week of purposeful motion, uh, preferably in base training with two or three sprint intervals after that. You know, in my own example, I can, even at my age, get my heart rate up to 186 and keep it there for a sprint interval. But my base training is 125 beats per minute, which is four on a treadmill, right? And it feels like nothing, but it is, you know, it can, with consistency, I've totally changed my body composition. And I think that's the health part of it, right? You don't have to kill yourself with high intensity interval training every day, which is why people end up in my office, which I'm happy to see them, but nobody wants to be in an orthopedic surgeon's office. Right. And, and usually if you're seeing, I mean, you're, you're unique and also a representation of a group of doctors that I see more and more in all different fields, you know, from, from mental health to GI specialists, mm-hmm. to all to orthopedic. Cause normally someone would say, well, Dr. Wright is a hammer and you're a nail. So that's what she's going to do. And more and mm-hmm. more, it's the bigger conversation about, Hey, how's your exercise life? What is your strategy for mobility? Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that because not only am I hearing it more and more, but you're giving people an opportunity to have another, to take another route. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, when you write these books, because typically you wouldn't get a ton of nutritional training for you to be an orthopedic. So, you know, and it's such a huge part of the puzzle. So how did you sort of approach the philosophy around, Hey, this is, you know, like you talked about sugar and you're, you know, being insulin sensitive Mm -hmm. and things like that. Where did you come up with a, you know, your philosophy to share? Well, in my original books, my nutrition was centered around uh, the concepts of anti-inflammation and simplicity, right? You know, I I would share with people the meals I prepare for my family are really simple, a protein, a a beautiful vegetable array, and a complex carb. That's it. Three things, right? But, you know, I am a continual learner. I have a very curious mind. I read a, a you know, I download books from Amazon nearly every day. And my husband's like, what's more stacks of books? So I read all the time. So my philosophy has changed over time from just simply anti-inflammatory to uh, when I was about 48, about the time when I was saying, do I stay in Pittsburgh forever and, you know, swirl the drain or do I move on? I cut out, I cut out added sugar for the first time in my life. I just went cold turkey right after Thanksgiving. I don't even know why I chose that time of year. But I'm a, I'm an old ballet dancer. I was hurt all I was hurting all the time. I was so inflamed. I could barely get out of bed. My brain was a little foggy. And and I attributed that all to my sugar load because I really do love sugar or did love sugar. So I cut it out for the first time and I saw what it did for me. You know what it did? I no longer felt my body, which is the way I prefer it. I prefer not to feel my body. And number two, without trying, the first time I did it, I lost 12 pounds because Americans eat 16 pounds of added sugar every month by just putting packaged food in their mouths. Because if you, I I know you know this, but people out there listening might not know that if you read the back of a label, it's going to say things like six grams of added sugar for what? right? So when I did it the first time, it was, it was profound. And so I just started learning, learning more and more. So 
I'm not wearing it now. Usually I show people I am not diabetic, but I wear a continuous glucose monitor because I'm addicted to my data and I want to know whether I'm spiking. So when I first did it, this is and I have my my Optimum Health clients do this too. When I first did it, I was curious. I put it on and my fasting glucose was 97. And I freaked out because it was three points away from pre-diabetic. And I think I'm doing really, really, really well. And I will not have any part of that. So I learned over three months what spikes me, how to really eat my veggies and my fiber first, then my protein and control the spike. So now, unless I'm just eating the dark chocolate that's in my drawer of my desk right now, I don't spike. But I was also not happy with my base glucose being in the 90s. So I've, you know, adding tons of lifting heavy weights. I mean, you know, I'm really lifting heavy three times a week as well as watching. I saw those legs, Dr. Ray. I saw those legs. That has lowered my whole glucose baseline from 90s. It runs about in the high 80s right now. I know when I'm hungry, I'm actually hungry because my sugar's low. But it's it's been a miracle in terms of how I feel. I, I don't really feel my body. I'm sleeping and and my brain is clear, which is really critical for me. And I attribute it to what I've learned about nutrition and metabolic health and and I, I put all over my social media the pictures of mitochondria that I took in college with an electron microscope, just that kind of science geek. Yeah. But yeah. I, uh, I wonder, is there, are there people for you personally that you really love their nutritional philosophy that have helped you or influenced you? Because, you know, it's so funny. You can get a naturopath talking about it, but when there's someone like you who I think people look at it even a little differently and, and still bridging the gap of, you know, nutrition is medicine, getting people to really buy into that. Is there anyone in particular that you feel that you just really uh, kind of align with some of their philosophies that have, has kind of helped you? I, I have um, two nutritionists that I'll name and then one scientist turned celebrity. I don't, um, I'm a, I'm a science geek. I love, yeah, I love just to be curious and read the original research. So I've had the privilege of working with a sports nutritionist for more than 20 years, who was the sports nutritionist for the Steelers, the Penguins, and now is the sports nutritionist for um, Kansas City Chiefs. Her name is Leslie Bonchi. And her philosophy, she has corrected me so many times over the years, meaning with the philosophy of don't shame food. It is not food's fault. Because I would I would post something about this or that, and she'd like, Fonda, don't shame the food. It's not the food's fault. Because there is no bad food. It's just how we prepare it or how much we consume of it, right? So that's a that's a very different philosophy of, you know, being so punishing about our diets. And we're bad for wanting that. No, it's just quantity how it's prepared, how it's processed, Leslie Bonchi. Number two, my current sports nutritionist here in the Lake Nona Performance Club, uh, Sarah Logan, who really manages her nutrition clients using macros, using the lactate threshold. It is all science-based. We're counting protein grams. 
And it's all individual. It's not okay where everybody's going to eat the same soup or grapefruit or whatever. It is very specific because that's the way medicine is right now, Gabby. It's precision. Everybody gets their own thing, right? Because we're all individuals. And then number three, the whole glucose flattening thing. I did read a part of the book. I I, I don't even know her real name. She goes by the celebrity moniker glucose goddess. She looked up all the papers and you know what? I, I didn't trust her. You know, she's written books just like me. I don't expect people to trust me. Go read the articles I cite in my books or read my original research. So when she wrote her book and she cited the papers, I went and read all the papers and she was telling the truth that it matters what order we eat our food. And so those those are all the things I apply to my patients right now. And then uh, we do lactate. I keep saying this lactate threshold. It matters how you metabolize and everybody's different. Yeah. I think her French accent also makes the word glucose sound better. And the fact that that she can make it simple, stupid for people and, and that behind it is our layers. I really appreciate it. And maybe you and I wouldn't necessarily at first, that wouldn't be our go-to, but it's seeing the value in someone who, Hey, listen, how do, how do we reach people? So when you have patients come in male and female, and let's, let's, let's say they're not, um, they don't have a big physical strategy practice. What are you seeing? Because I think it's so interesting. Women deal with more in a different way. But I also, I also think we sort of talk to each other about like, hey, I feel overwhelmed or I feel, and we might chin up and keep going, but at least we sort of bring it up. And I think with men sometimes is I think they're experiencing a lot of things, but they're not really mm-hmm. talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not, a, and they're not as sensitive. We grew up with our cycles. I just think we're more in touch with kind of our bodies and, you know, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. And they could be going through whatever andropause and they don't even, they, they, they don't, don't know it. They don't know. It. Right. <laughs> they so don't know. If you have maybe typically what you're seeing, because it's also for me, I'm trying to get people to realize that mostly what they're going through is probably pretty common. And so it's okay. Is what are you seeing as the blocks or the things that keep either the group typically male or the typical females mm-hmm. that don't have an athletic background or didn't grow up yeah. with, you know, kind of a movement practice? as the yeah. barriers to try this, to pivot, to try something new. So when I, you know, 97% of men, orthopedic surgeons are men. So I do have this deep understanding. And I think a lot of times is they either feel fine or I, I mean, I'm fine with my apple belly. I'm fine. I'm very successful. I'm fine. Or it's, it's hard to admit that maybe you're not, and maybe you want to feel better. But when I start working with men, the words they use are things like, one guy recently says, you know, listen, I'm doing all these things, but I want to be in vibrant health. I don't want to be just healthy-ish. He didn't use that. I use that. But that's the word, you know, we're fine. But he wanted to be vibrant. And what was that going to take? Another guy I met with this morning He's like, listen, I just want to look good and I want to feel good. So it may not be about health at all. It's just about how their persona is going around and what it's going to take, right? For women, women will come to me all the time in my office, maybe with a frozen shoulder, right? Their shoulder's gotten inflamed and they can't even lift it up anymore. 
And with a few minutes of listening, we, I, they say things like, I am falling apart. I do not understand what's going on, or I can't sleep anymore. And, and they, and as I'm listening, they start to weep. And what makes women not seek relief is sometimes a little being ashamed of talking about it. Like, okay, well, I don't want people to know that I'm falling apart or I'm miserable because I can't sleep. But here's the beauty of women is, I'm going to say this is true because there's no place for mean girls anymore, uh, or not that there ever was. But, but once you start talking about it, women face each other when we talk, right? If you and I are in the same room, we'd be sitting across from each other. Men sit side by side and spew out facts. Women talk to each other. And I may say to you, listen, you know, I ate a little too much sugar. I'm really inflamed right now. And it would start this conversation where if we would just bring it up, we would be so supportive. You would say, hey, Vaughn, you need to do this. Or, or I would say, Gab, we need to think about it this way. Or have you ever thought? But sometimes we're just afraid to bring it up because we, we don't, we think we're the only one. And that this idea it's perfect. Everything's perfect. I'm fine. Everything in my house is fine. It's good. And that's why I think it's, I really appreciate this, the the conversation around, Hey, listen, we always have to stay in touch with this and stay on top of it and keep making adjustments even when we quote, no. And I think that that's also really important for people to realize that we don't arrive and land on the answer and then we're good. It's like, this is an ongoing conversation based on also what time in your life? What are you navigating? What are you dealing with? And, and I think it's important also, though, with, with men, unless they already have a practice, to be like, how are you feeling? You know, and, and because maybe we're di- sometimes guided more by our waistline than they are. They're sort of like, well, I'm, like you said, I'm successful, so everything's okay. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, pivoting that, that mindset. And you, and you really are, you talk a lot about mindset and, and I you do. also talk about something that I appreciate, which is like not to covet your youth, you know, it's, yes. it's sort of like going, Hey, it's, it's, it can be fun and, and okay, even right now. And, yeah. um, and maybe we're learning, like if, if you're working with sharp end of the stick athletes, and there's mm-hmm. some things that we can really learn from these high performing 25 year olds that we can incorporate into our training or eating or what have you. I think that's awesome, mm-hmm. but not to sort of wish, Oh, I wish I was my old self or I wish I was younger or any of that. I think Abby, we only remember the good things. So what is it about 25? That was so good. Well, it's, it was easy, right? You know, our bodies, we could just go do whatever, but we forget that we didn't really, at least I didn't, maybe everybody else did, didn't really know ourselves. We hadn't had enough of riches of experience, right? The price of experience is aging. And when I talk about the mindset that we need to make 40 through 60 or 70 healthy, vital, active, joyful, we cannot be optimized. When I'm talking about this on stage, I physically pivot. But, you know, if we're always looking behind us, trying to remember whatever those years were, you cannot pivot and move forward into some of the best years. If you're always looking behind, you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you're not going to 
look. So we can appreciate those times. We can take from them. We can have the memories of what it was like to when things were easier. But my research and the research of many others in exercise science show that there is something about the tactical acumen that you get from 20 years of doing the same sport or the same thing, right? You, a 20-year-old doesn't, you can, everything, you can read the court, you can read the waves, you can read the ice, you can, every skilled practice gets better with reps. So you may not have the same stride as you did when you were 20, but you know your game better if you're still competing. You know, endurance athletes are, are winning in their late 30s and 40s. Their muscles are different. They've got the tactical acumen that you cannot get without reps. And it's the same in life. So when I encourage people to pivot their mindsets and remember the good things, but really have a forward-facing view to face their future, so that's what I'm asking. You cannot go forward by looking back. You know, the other thing too that I, and I really appreciate that is the emotionality, like you'd be too tired and bummed out if you were constantly thinking about the way it was or how you used to be to have the energy to actually do what it takes to be Mm -hmm. who you are now and who you're becoming. And I, and I think that it's like almost like trying to scoop all of that focus and strength up for what it takes to do what you're saying. I want to talk about, you know, lean muscle mass. And I I, I know it sounds superficial, but I saw something that you presented of a slide that I thought was amazing of, okay, this 40 year old triathlete, uh, maybe it was the quad and it was like this juicy muscle. And then it was a a 70 year old sedentary person, which it looked as you would expect. And then you, you clip to a 70 year old triathlete and it looked just as juicy and great and, and healthy as the 40-year-old. Like the slide looked very, it looked almost the, exactly the same. Exactly. Uh, that was a pivotal study, Gabby. That was huge. So the study you're describing is actually old at this point, but it was one of the studies on my quest to prove that mobility is the key. So what I did was I took athletes from 40 to 85. I did MRIs, you know, lay there in the tube, very still. And I took MRI slices, you're right, right across the quads. And if you're envisioning this, it looks, I'm sorry, like a piece of ham. There's a bone in the middle. On the top, there's gorgeous quadriceps, like thick, hearty muscle. On the bottom, there's the tri- the hamstrings. There's a very thin rind of peripheral fat. And when I use very sophisticated NIH software to look inside the muscle, there was very little marbling, right? So we're talking about the difference between a flank steak, which is totally lean, it's all lean muscle mass, and maybe a Colby beef where there's fat everywhere, right? The 40-year-old's quad had gorgeous muscle, very strong, no intramuscular adipose tissue. The second picture you're describing, we sit around for 30 years, we lose our muscle architecture, we lose our strength, and we become grossly infiltrated with fat. And 
I'm going to say it again. Fat is not innocuous. It is a noxious metabolic organ hanging around in un, unsophisticated and un, un, unpretty places, locations. So the second picture is what happens. But the third picture that you're describing, and I'll post it somewhere if people are looking for it, is of a 70-year triathlete. And you would have thought that I just took the next slice from the 40-year-old. Gorgeous muscle, very low intramuscular, uh, intramuscular adipose tissue, very strong. And these are not professional athletes. They are everyday people like me who just happen to invest every day in their mobility. And so we know that Number one, we can preserve our lean muscle mass with mobility. Number two, what we're talking about now, this is part of this curiosity and learning curve, is that lifting heavy weights even at every age will help us build and maintain lean muscle mass, which is what we need to control our metabolism, our glucose spikes. But, but listen, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and I also want you to have lean muscle mass so that you do not fall down when you're 60 from a standing position and break your femoral neck. Because here's what happens, my friends. If you fall and break your femoral neck, 50% of you will not return to pre-fall function and a full third of the men will die. So let's not do that, right? Let's invest in keeping our lean muscle mass built. So for women, I, I wanna add this stat. It's very important for us because if we do nothing, we will lose 20% of our lean muscle mass during our perimenopausal years. And most health insurances do not allow you without paying for it yourself to get a DEXA scan, which is your bone density until you're 65. Ladies, it's too late. We need to know, right? Well, they're not expensive also, Dr. Wright. Like the other side of this is... I want to say this. I think they're, what are they, 200 bucks or something? And I know people can yeah. okay, but I actually, I so appreciate that you brought this up because it's like, hey, listen, even by 40 it, or you, it, because then you know, and that's right. So don't go to Starbucks for a few weeks and save those $200 that's and get that yourself. Yes, because you know what that allows you to do? Exactly. My Starbucks drink is $8, so I don't really go there much anymore. Yeah. So because uh, I bought a, you know, the espresso machine for 30 cents. We have our own drink. So, but get your DEXA scan, know your bone density so that you can safely go lift heavy weights yeah. and you build lean muscle mass and you build bone density at the same time. I mean, it's a twofer. Yeah. And listen, I have an artificial knee. I'm very tall. I'm 6'3". Yeah. My, my levers mm-hmm. are very long. Yes. And so I, even with me, when I'm lifting, I'm still strategic about knowing where, if the load, you know, it's because I think sometimes people go, well, I have never lifted. They hear the word heavy. It's like, you're saying time under tension. You're not telling people, Hey, you have to right out of the gates, become a power lifter. So I just, oh, you know, and like in your book, you can see, you know, some of the tools and weights that you use. So I just want to also remind people, it's like, there was really no excuse. You don't have to sit there and harness up with a weight belt and be like, okay, I'm ready and chalk up. It's like, you're talking about time under tension, lifting some weights. Um, you know, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that because heavy is different for every single person. I say I lift heavy. I'm currently, I'm currently squatting 115 pounds in high school. I squatted 215 pounds. So it's not really heavy, right? But for me, right. 
number one. Number two, thank you for mentioning that because for some people who are just starting out, lifting their own body weight is heavy. But that's where we start. And that's what you'll find in my older books when is that I wanted people to use functional lean body mass. You can do so much work. And now because I'm curious and I've been reading, my next book is going to work people through the body weight and we're going to lift some heavy weights because that's how you recruit uh, muscle fibers for the long term. And it's just part of the evolution of learning. You know, science is not static. I interviewed, uh, do you remember who Tony Horton is, the Power 90, you know? I do. Well, Tony Horton had to recover from Huntington's and he had a beautiful approach, which was, so here's a guy who's very athletic, you know, ripped, could do all this stuff. And now he's starting again. And he took the approach of like, wow, it's going to be exciting to watch how much I get to progress. So for example, if, if you talk about hanging, like grip strength. People might go, Mm -hmm. well, I can only go for a few seconds. It's like, isn't that Mm -hmm. awesome? Because now the next time you do it, it'll be a little more. And in a few weeks, it's a little more. And so I think it's also getting, my husband's good about this, this being, being a beginner, like it's okay. Wow. And you, and you talk a lot about that. And so just reminding people that, you know, there's so much growth when you're trying something new and not to be freaked out about it. Um, Dr. Wright, as we, as we start to come, you know, towards more towards the end is I'd like to get brass taxi just a little bit about, you know, for example, you talk about the musculoskeletal system and and now more and more people are sort of saying, Hey, we should treat this like another organ is, but how that that can actually impact and make our brains more resilient. (gasps) Yes. Let's talk about this. So during COVID, um, huh? I had all this time on my hands, like people did, right? So one of the things I learned to do was bake sourdough, which was a mistake, or or churn butter from cream, which was a mistake. But you know what? Here's what I also did. I also became certified as a re, as a hardiness coach because the 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 truth is is that I wanted to help my peers. Doctors are very under stress, and there's a very high suicide rate with doctors. So I thought I'm going to use this time. And what I learned as becoming a a hardiness coach and really focusing on the three C's of hardiness is that it's not just about our brains. The fact is that one of the ways we can be more hardy, oh, is mobility. Oh, how about that? Mobility. And here's why. Because the contraction of skeletal muscle, curling biceps, lifting overhead, running, causes the transcription of a protein that goes directly to a part of our brain called the nucleus ceruleus, which I always mispronounce, locus ceruleus, which is the resilience and hardiness part of our brain. So you think you're just moving for your mobility or for your body composition, but mobility is directly tied to our brains, not only because of the endorphins we release, right? The good part, the good feeling, it causes the transcription of a hardiness protein that makes us mentally stronger. And that research was done originally in prisoners of war, army rangers, and people who overcame tremendous life challenges. So it is, it's wonderful data. Now, I, I have to ask, because you have so much information, and this is just more of a selfish question. Does anyone in your family listen to you? Like, does your daughter, <laughs> your teenage daughter... 
is she like, oh my God. Cause I have to tell you in my house, you know, I mean, Laird and I have been relatively consistent for 30 years in our practices and, you know, mm-hmm. as my kids get older, they'll sort of adopt a practice. But right now, like my, you know, we talk, if you have a teenager, but I'm just curious, or, and your husband, it's like, are they like, oh my gosh, here she goes again with the, you know, or how does that work? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> It's not for lack of trying, Gabby. <laughs> well, you know, my I got to give him credit. All six of our kids are they they're in shape. They value mobility. I think it's not because I told them to. Yeah. I think either they've grown up with it or they value their own health. They've all they're all doing it. The the poor my daughter Isabella, the, our 15-year-old poor girl, she can recite everything I've said today cuz she's been around. But sure. but they don't listen to me for medical advice. They'd rather listen to anybody on TV or it's just, you know what? I think I'm too close to them. So, yeah. Well, we have an expression in our house, an expert, somebody who lives a mile away. So I was just curious because yeah, when you, when you talk, I sometimes say, you know, I'm a doctor, right? You yes. know, I did the work, you know it. <laughs> yeah. And, but you're talking about like, pick up your underwear too. So it's like, you know, right, that's goes, true. Right. So, when you talk about lean muscle mass, how does that also play with the, you know, muscle stem cells? Cause I even know there's, there's sort of a relationship there and people are all, you know, really interested in, in stem cells. So, um, interesting. You asked this, my lab at the university of Pittsburgh studied a form of stem cells, which at the time we called muscle derived stem cells because we found them in muscle, but actually now we know them to be satellite cells, which are, are, you know, it's, it's in the public right now. They're, they're the stem cells found in muscle. They're actually along the lining of the blood vessels, but we know they decline with age unless you do something about it. We know they decline with estrogen unless you do something about it. Here's the gorgeous data. It's another study we did, and there's lots of these, is that we took satellite cells from little old lady mice. They're two years old. They don't want to do anything but sit there waiting for their next food. So maybe they're you know 80 or 90 years old in people years. And we took their stem cells, and the stem cells no longer were flat. Were, were no longer fat and, and, and healthy. They were no longer producing growth factors and they had turned on the genes that caused death. Death mm-hmm. is an active process. Then we took them and yes, indeed, I bought mouse treadmills and made these little girls run and they don't want to like the rest of the public, but they did it twice a day for two weeks. I know you're envisioning this, right? Come on, girls, let's run. And Do you know what happened when we sampled their stem cells again? The stem cells were no longer dying. They were plump and healthy and they were producing growth factors. So it shows that in these animals, which we then reproduce these data in humans, that we can totally recondition our stem cells by the mobility that we invest every day. So we use these techniques now to prehab people for total knees or total hips or for surgery to make sure the whole body and the stem cells are primed. So that's, you know, that's beautiful data about how we can manipulate even at a cellular level. But we know that lifting heavy is another way to to cause the replication of satellite cells, which we just need more of these. So if we just let time happen without reinvesting in our mobility, you know, we're just 
we're just acquiescing, giving in because we can change our bodies at a tissue level with this rump roast uh, flank steak study I did with our muscles and a follow-up study. We know we can recondition our stem cells by mobility. I love that you use the word mobility. I'm, I'm getting used to it now. Do you personally, and I know it's all very personalized and I believe in that too, but is there, are there supplements of sorts that you, you personally kind of have added or that you, you try to cycle in? Yes. And there, there are 9,000 supplements and you can't do everything. So I do it based on what I know is most important to me. And, and I'm interested in anti-inflammation. I'm interested in energy levels. So I'll tell you what I take personally. And then I've just launched uh, a supplement series for menopausal women, right? So I am interested in, in supporting women to get everything we need in this perimenopausal period. So the supplements I've just launched are called Nova MD. They are, uh, so you find them at NovaMD.com or DrVonda.com. And here's what they give us. They're supportive because we've got a lot to do and our bodies need several things. So they include all the micronutrients we need, all the B vitamins that we may or may not get from our food because we're trying, most women I know are trying to diet and live on a thousand calories a day, which will never work for you. But B B vitamins are critical for all for many things in our body. We've added augments like ashwagandha and green tea extract and matcha powder, all which are great for multiple systems like our brains and our hearts. And as an antioxidant, one ingredient that we're really excited about because we want to support our estrogen receptors, which are empty now that estrogen is fluctuating and moving around. So a little of the science there are, there are two baskets that many of our tissues have that are called estrogen receptors. Estrogen fills those baskets, the alpha basket, the beta basket. The alpha basket works on organs dealing with heart disease and breast cancer. The beta does more functions of the brain and many other body functions. We could spend three hours talking about this. But we want to fill those baskets. Sometimes women choose to do that with hormone replacement therapy, and, and I love that. I do it myself. But sometimes we need more, or some women just choose not to, but we still need to support our bodies. So we have added to Nova MD an ingredient that comes from rhubarb. It's actually, I mean, the chemical name is ER. 371, but it's an extract from the natural plant rhubarb that you get make pies out of, but it fills the estrogen B basket and helps do things like relieve night sweats, clear brain fog, supports us along with the other ingredients because I'm not trying to make myself 20 again, but I really am trying to consistently feel amazing, right? I want to be supportive enough. So these are the things that I found in my diet that I needed support with. Um, so I just partnered with an amazing formulator and these are truly meant to support women because I don't think women should suffer during this time. The other supplements that I formulated with uh, for this line supports energy. Uh, I take NAD plus every day. There, there is an energy balance in our body 
supplied by this compound called NAD+. With aging, when we're in our 20s, uh, it's about 80 in our cells. The first time I measured my NAD+, it was 20, and I was exhausted, and I was having my 3 p.m. energy slump every day. But now that I do all the things that I do and supplement with uh, for NAD+, I am energized until I'm done with my day. And that's important to me. So that's the other line. So micronutrients, filling the estrogen B basket with our rhubarb uh, extract and energy supplementation, all in Nova MD. And it's really simple and it's meant to support because I think we deserve that. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, I, I'm going to bring up one last thing. So, I'll, and I'll throw uh, Joe DeSena under the bus um, because I love him, ah. <laughs> and, he, and he's tough, so he can take any bus throwing. You, yes, you're actually on it his podcast, uh, Spartan Up, and I, I love Joe, and I love his message, and just his kind of love and grittiness simultaneously. I feel like he has two hammers. Like I love you. I'm kicking your butt. I love you. That's right. Um, I, I'm kicking you because I love you. Yes, that's right. And. I want to see his kids rebel. I do have this thing. I feel like, you know, anyway, I, but you guys, you guys talk about, um, and nobody wants to hear it, but like booze is not your friend. And so we'll, we'll blame it on Joe because he's a tough guy. And Mm -hmm. just, I certainly never believe in telling people what to do. And it's all these, all these conversations for me are just an invitation to say to people, Hey, if you're looking for resources, you know, we can have these conversations and see if people go, Oh, I'd like that idea like this. And, and I understand people mm-hmm. go, Oh, I de-stress and all that. But in the end, end of the day, male or female, regardless actually of your age. Um, but I think the accumulation has a whole other impact on people. You know, if they've done a lifetime of it is that mm-hmm. it just isn't. And I know it's like weirder if you don't do it, but just to remind people that, Hey, that is actually, if you're really trying to sort of navigate these roads of feeling the best that you can and having good sleep, that the alcohol is just not just, it's, you know, it's not working. Well, I'll tell you, and I agree with you. It does not really work to shake my finger at people and tell them not to do something. You know, drinking is such a culture. People love their two glasses before they go to bed, but here's why I have stopped drinking alcohol based on the research not based on socializing. It's based on the research. And if you need all the research, listen to Huberman's three-hour podcast. I mean, listen, he's summarized it all. But we have always known that alcohol kills brain cells. We know that. And And even though we now know that we can regenerate neurons, that's enough for me because I need all of those. I really do. Number one. Number two, Alcohol consumption is a profound uh, lifestyle modifier of breast cancer risk. I personally have decided not to use alcohol because I don't need my breast cancer risk to be more than one in seven. I don't need that, right? So uh, that's another huge reason for me. And then number three, I am so careful about protecting my sleep why would I do something to purposely harm my sleep? Because we may pass out and not be aware when we're sleeping after alcohol, but that is not restorative sleep. 
That is not regenerative sleep. That is just passed out. There's a big difference. So, you know, those are the three reasons based on sound research that I have chosen uh, not to do that in my life when at one time I did. If, because you were a night shift worker and they say to get kind of get that recovery back is very challenging. Do you have any tips or suggestions for people who have schedules that if they're night shift workers or they just, it's the way it is? Yeah, night, it's so hard to be on the night shift. It really is. It's just, it's a devastating time to work. And I did it for seven years. Um, In general, for night shift, for day shift in general, the things you hear all the time about sleep are really, I mean, again, they're research-based. Go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time. Do not uh, pollute your sleep with alcohol before you go to bed. If we're looking for ways to ease into sleep, use use ritual. Ritual means something, whether it's sport or your nighttime routine. Um, I take my magnesium right before I go to bed because it's it's a good uh, way to ease into sleep. I use melatonin. Melatonin puts me to sleep faster, doesn't make me sleep longer, um, but I do do that. And you know what else I, I've recently started doing because even though my youngest is 15 years old, I still have mom ears and I hear everything at night. I've started wearing my AirPod ear can, uh, noise canceling little earphones and it even makes my sleep better if you're somebody who sleeps lightly because it's just that important. Yeah. But those same rules would work for night for night shift workers too, just during the day, as as well as blackout curtains. Yeah. And so Dr. Wright, I'm gonna wrap this up, but I also I just have to ask, you know, one last question because you <laughs> you realize it or not, you're you are an inspiration. your story is very inspiring. Yeah. But I want to say that you, um, your, your husband, you were later to, to being married and busy and all these things. How did you, cause I think that's hard for a lot of people, especially when they're trying to do something like to take on a career is it's hard and men maybe yes. have a different Liberty because they don't have a biological clock. I get it. Yeah. But for a woman, did you, were you always like hopeful that you would find love? Did you not worry about it? Did you, were you, you know, how did you stay open to it? Like, I'm just curious because I, I really appreciate, you know, that it all came together, but it wasn't like, oh, that was first and then the career. And then, you know, it's like, yeah. Oh, I, I love you asked this question because Peter Taglinetti is a pretty special man to tolerate being married to a surgeon because I don't always control everything, although I think I do. But so, you know, the true story is uh, I had been in love before and that, and I lost that. And so when I met Peter, I was at a place where I wanted different things because I was older, right? I, I wanted a true partner. Gabby, I don't, I maybe I should just quit apologizing when I say this, but I am a surgeon a high capacity, and I can do for myself, right? So I was looking for someone at this late point in my life that would have my back, right? Because usually I have other people's backs and I'm the fixer. And I realized 
maybe you don't want to think this, but when I really analyzed myself and knew myself, I needed somebody who expressed their love to a family like my dad. My dad would have died for us. And he always had our backs. It wasn't glamorous. We just knew he was like the steady rock. So when you know yourself well enough, maybe you've taken the time to marry later in life or gotten to know yourself. I realized that that's what I needed. I needed somebody who would have my back because usually I have people's backs and I needed somebody that I understood that they loved me when they had my back or that they would die for me. Not that it's ever been challenged, but I knew if that ever came up, he would. Yeah. Right. Does that make sense? I mean, I think makes, that's how I got open to it. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I think also, you know, for, you know, I remember when I met my husband, I was like, oh, he can deal with all the things that actually I can't. And because in the day to day, I could deal with pretty much everything on my own. So it was having somebody to your point that I felt for me personally, I felt protected. I felt like mm-hmm. he would be there for me. And so I understand that, but I think it's, it's an interesting gear shift because when you're high performing and hard charging, mm-hmm. having that opportunity to also say, and I would like to mm-hmm. have somebody that makes me feel comfortable or safe. Um, and I think that, cause I think especially younger women now, that's even a bigger dilemma right? Because they are, yes. they're, they were raised earlier to be hard charging. And then, mm-hmm. and, but yet somehow males don't know, like, is, can I step in? I don't know how to step in. And I think it's understanding that many things exist at the same time. Mm-hmm. And just, I was just well, curious about that, you know? Well, and here's something that I consciously do is that I don't have to make all the decisions. I trust him right? If I need to be protected and have somebody, somebody at my back, I need to trust him enough that I don't have to make all the decisions and I don't have to second guess his decisions. If they're truly family decisions, we'll make them together or I trust him enough to make them because nothing uh, sabotages a relationship more than someone trying to change somebody else, trying to second guess somebody else or raise somebody else. Their mama raised them. You want a whole person, right? So that, you know, I trust him to, and I try not to second guess the decisions that I don't have to, right? So there is that letting go that my own ego has to let go, right? I appreciate you letting me ask you, because I I have to say when I do the research, things come up in my mind about like, Oh, well, okay. I wonder how that was. And and I think sometimes it's like people see you and you're hard charging and all this stuff. And it's like, and, you know, you ha- you're a person who's using these tools, you know, in real time to navigate. In, in wrapping up, if you, because I'm sure I always, you know, you, I never, I forget if there was something that you could say to a male or female, you know, listener, patient, if I forgot something that just was an important invitation from you what would that be? Something I've worked my whole career is to motivate people to invest in themselves every day. But here's what I realized, Gabby. If any amount of self-help books, any amount of lecturing, any about of any external motivation actually doesn't work because 
Because what I want people to realize, no matter what age or stage of health or life they're in, is that you are worth the daily investment in your health. You are worth it. You, you're, the time you take, whether it's 10 minutes or three hours to take care of yourself, is just as important as the time you take to take care of everybody else. Maybe more important because then you will take care of them. So you are important and you deserve it. That's what I want people to understand. Dr. Wright, will you just remind people every place that they can find you? Of course. Um, easy. Just go on Instagram. I am Dr. Vonda Wright on Instagram. I'm Dr. Vonda Wright on the internet. If you're interested in seeing how I'm supporting women in their menopause, you can find the supplement line and some information at Dr. Vonda, just Dr. Vonda, uh, com, And it's called uh, Nova MD. And then you know, I pop up on a lot of places. And so if you just Google me, you'll see places I'm speaking or presenting. And so I'd love to meet you there. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and letting me ask you science questions and personal questions. Thank you. Of course. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. Head to the link in the show notes and click gabbyreese.com to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, products, and more. Stay tuned for a bonus episode coming this Thursday where I go deeper on one of the topics that really resonated with me. If you have any questions for my guests or even myself, please send them to at gabbyreese on Instagram. If you feel inspired, please hit the follow button, leave a rating and a comment. It not only helps me, it really helps the show grow and reach new listeners.